1: Welcome to the Hearts Entwined podcast. This is your host, Lynn Smith, the Queen of Hearts. And today, listeners, I've got a lovely lady. Her name is Cassie Christopher. She's a registered dietitian. So welcome, Cassie. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I can't wait to get into our conversation today. Me too. You know, this is so exciting for me because this is something that we're going to be discussing today that that's very close to my heart too and we've not actually had a conversation with anybody on the show specifically around this topic and the topic we're going to be talking about today listeners is body image you know is body image a problem in your relationships so um, Cassie what, what's led you first of all to be doing what you're doing today and and why why are you so passionate about this
2: yeah yeah so Um, you know, for me, I'm a registered dietitian. I have my master's in nutrition, you know, the, the food expert and what I noticed for myself when I was in school, learning all the things that you have to know to help people heal with food. Um, I couldn't get past my, uh, bar of chocolate, sometimes more a day, uh, emotional eating habit. And really, I came to notice that food, I was using food as a way to numb how I was feeling. Grad school was a very stressful time for me um, and also as a way to get pleasure in, in my life because I wasn't doing a lot of self-care or devoting myself to things I enjoyed. You know, I was kind of head down and believed that that's what I had to do in order to be a good adult and, and you know, survive in this world and, and. So eventually that led to sure, gaining weight, feeling uncomfortable in my body. I, um, I developed some autoimmune issues and, you know, this went on for several years, even as a new registered dietitian, I was helping other people with their food issues and I was still struggling myself. And I always love to share that because I want people to know that you can feel like you know everything about what to eat and how to eat and why to eat this over that Uh, and still struggle. I mean, I definitely did. And I think that the reason that we are in that boat is because a lot of what we do with food really has nothing to do with food. That emotional eating has to do with numbing your feelings, uh, with trying to feel good. And actually it can be even a trauma response for people who have had trauma earlier in their life. Um, and, and I came to you Lynn, because what I'm noticing is women are coming to me and the reason that they want to heal their emotional eating is because They want to start dating, but they believe that they will not be attractive to potential romantic partners unless they change how they look, usually wanting to lose weight. um, But, you know, certainly there can be other ways to change how you look. And emotional eating is the thing that is uh, causing the struggle with, with weight And what I've noticed, Lynn, and and I'm so happy to walk you through this and why this might be and and how to get this result is in the process of healing emotional eating, you really have to accept how you're feeling, accept that you're having feelings and then feel those feelings again, like it has nothing to do with a meal plan or what you're eating. Uh, And in that process, I'm watching women because I work with women 45 and up have to start to accept themselves and their bodies and do a lot of unlearning of what they've been told about themselves and their bodies. And the end result is, yes, a healthier relationship with food, but healthier relationship with their bodies and feeling good in their bodies, even if their bodies maybe didn't change. And it's so fun then to see my clients because, because I love to run group programs talking about the wonderful men that they're meeting, uh, you know, by and large, or the increased connection that they're having with their romantic partners, um, already, again, you know, they come to me wanting to be more attractive and, and, but they, through the process of healing, emotional eating, they find that they already are attractive, or they can start to appreciate and accept things about themselves that they had trouble accepting before.
1: Wow, that's so, so true. You know, I can relate to this so much, because I exactly that person, you know, that you described as somebody that was medicating myself with food on the back of, you know, trauma that I went through as a teenager. And um, literally, I've yo-yoed myself up and down the scales all my adult life on the back of that. But like you say, it's not actually anything to do with the food itself. It's 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 we, we all know, don't we, that um, what's I should think we do by now anyway, that what's healthy for us to eat and what's not. You know, that that isn't the issue. But the issue is usually what's the cause? What's the you know, what's the underlying root problem that needs to be resolved that's caused the emotional eating in the first place that, that usually doesn't get addressed by the, the weight loss industry?
2: Oh, a hundred percent. And actually it's my belief that, you know, you mentioned childhood trauma. It's my belief that the weight loss industry actually perpetuates that trauma. You know, I have clients who I'm not a a counselor. I'm not a mental health uh, expert. I'm a registered dietitian. Um, but just from what I've seen, it, it seems like they almost have PTSD from the scale. You know, they can't get on the scale, whether or not it goes up or down without these really awful self-critical kind of self-sabotaging thoughts going through their mind. And, and so, yeah, that, that diet industry certainly is part of the unlearning that needs to happen in order to get to a place where you can care for yourself well, because that self-criticism that happens as a result of stepping on the scale, uh, certainly is, is not in my definition of, you know, loving yourself or caring for yourself. Well, and I don't see that with shame. I think we come by these things really naturally. Um, you know, we fall into these patterns because we've been told this is what you have to do. Uh, And, and so certain you know, and that self-criticism that comes from, uh, again, those trauma beliefs. And so what I want to share with you is this model called the window of tolerance, which was developed by Dan Siegel for helping people understand their how their responses are related to the trauma that they went through in the past. Now, the first thing I want to talk about is we could be talking about big T trauma or little T trauma, you know, whether that be one event that happened that was awful, um, or in many cases, especially around bodies is people maybe grew up in households where their bodies were constantly criticized. Um, they were told, I mean, I have clients who they were told men will never love you if you're fat. Like they were told that repeatedly. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so if you got these messages from the people who, you know, are responsible for loving you best, oftentimes the adults in your life growing up, but certainly we're getting those messages from culture, it's going to take some unlearning. And this window of tolerance model basically states, and I found this to be true, that we all have this kind of happy place where we can we can take the things life throws at us without unhelpful coping mechanisms so something bad happens and we're able to deal with it and move on it doesn't lead to emotional eating it doesn't lead to binging it doesn't lead to you know shutting down like Um, I'll have clients come to me and say that they are in line for fast food, or they're standing in front of their, uh, their pantry, and they they don't know how they got there. Like, they're just like, "How, how did I get here? And that is dissociating, you know, you're checking out from your present reality. So if those things happen, what you need to do in order to care for yourself well and, and not rely on food to care for yourself, your emotional self, uh, is to get back into that window of tolerance where you can, you know, take life life's punches. And there's two ways to do that that I want to talk about. and I think this is going to help your audience when they start to notice, because around body image, if you're looking in the mirror and you're starting to notice all these really mean thoughts coming up, Okay. You're outside your window of tolerance. If you're looking in the mirror and you start to think about restricting, okay, I need to get control of this. I need to start a diet tomorrow. I'm cutting out all carbs. I'm never going to eat, you know, X, Y, Z again, that restriction is actually a sign of being outside your window of tolerance, because think about it when you're at your best. And hopefully we've all been here. We're able to see things we're not happy about and problem solve in a way that is healthful and good for us, we're not, we're not problem solving in a way that is punishing or like mean to ourselves essentially. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
2: So, so for this piece, how then do you get, if you notice these mean thoughts about yourself or you're thinking, no, one's ever going to love me unless I X, Y, Z, how do you get back into that window of tolerance so that you can then make healthful choices? Well, there's two things, The first is calming down your nervous system because what's really happening is your nervous system is activated. You get the stress hormone cortisol, you're pushed into fight flight or freeze. And when you're, so when you're outside your window of tolerance, that nervous system is always activated. So what you can do to, to get back into the window of tolerance is to work on being present to your body, being present to how you feel and really grounding yourself to the present time to just calm everything down. And that's so helpful for those racing thoughts that are always catastrophizing about the future too. Um, I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but a few quick breaths, you know, can, can make you feel so much better and help you get to a better place. Have you noticed that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, um, I think it's one thing to know it though. And another thing to you know, put it into practice and then keep putting it into practice so it becomes an automatic habit for yourself.
2: That's such a great point. And I'm so glad you brought that up, Lynn, because a lot of women, when we first start working together, will say, they'll, they'll come to me and be like, okay, you taught me all these tools and I didn't use any of them. <laughs> and they feel so much shame. You know, they know the things to do, but they're not doing them. And what is happening is, when you're outside your window of tolerance, too far outside your window of tolerance, um, those t- you can't use those tools. Like your brain is in fight or flight or freeze. It's not in a space to be able to use those tools. But if you're just, and I, it's kind of think of it this way. If you're just a little bit outside your window of tolerance, then maybe you can use those tools. So the trick is When you have an experience where you know you've you know that you've done something that you wish you hadn't, you look in the mirror, you're berating yourself for how you look, and starting to think about restricting, or you're emotionally eating, you're binging, whatever it may be, you kind of lose control of your emotions. Um, The trick is to be able to curiously, non-judgmentally look at that situation, see what happened to get you to that point, and then try to think about what are the unique cues for you where you can intervene much sooner. Because if you're in the middle of a binge, for instance, that's too late. You know, my clients who've been practicing this for a long time, if they find themselves in a binge, they actually can start to do some of these being present and grounding and end the binge and get back to the window of tolerance. But when you're just starting out, that's too late. So for me, for instance, I've, I've done this work obviously. And, and my story, like I shared involves struggling with emotional eating. And now I help other people because I figured out how to heal it. And it was nothing I learned in grad school. Um, and so for me, my triggers, I will notice if I get a strong urge to have something sweet or chocolatey, or, you know, like I just want to go to the bakery and get a cinnamon roll right now, whatever it might be. um, I check in like, oh, that's interesting. You know, that strong drive for something sweet is now uncommon for me. And that is my cue. Okay. I think it might be time to check in with how I'm feeling. It might be time to do some of these grounding exercises, um, to get into my body so that I, you know, so that it it, it doesn't lead to needing to use food to numb. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So What what typically, you know, when you refer to grounding exercises, you know, for the benefit of the audience are examples of those?
2: Yeah, yeah, that's such a great question. You know, the one that I love that is just the easiest thing that anyone can do is some breathing exercises. So I recommend a breathing exercise where you breathe in for a count of four, you hold for a count of five, and you breathe out for a count of six. So you essentially are making your exhale uh, much longer than your inhale. It's called round breathing. And you can practice that anywhere. You know, when you're walking down the street or you're, you know, in transportation or whatever, uh, wherever you may be. And actually research shows there's a lot of benefit to breathing practices. Not only does it calm down your nervous system, not only do I see it help my clients who are struggling with emotional eating, uh, but actually it can reduce the frequency of hot flashes. Wow. Um, you know, mm-hmm. And I, you know I work with Perry and postmenopausal women and so these uh, menopausal hormones are also something that, can ramp up the nervous system and doing things like breathing practices can help.
1: So you don't necessarily have to use it as an intervention. You can start practicing and it becoming a habit, you know, and and maybe never need to use it as an intervention.
2: (laughs) That's exactly right. You know, because part of this window of tolerance model where you have your happy place where you can handle whatever life throws at you is with these things like grounding techniques and what I'm about to share in a moment, because I said, there were two things you can actually enlarge your window of tolerance. So you can increase the amount of stuff that life can throw at you without you having to use unhelpful coping mechanisms. You know, another word for that would be, you can increase your resilience Um, And I mentioned trauma before, and and the way that trauma comes into this is people and research shows that when people have a history of trauma, their brains are more sensitive, more vigilant, you know, brain scans show these brains that are always on the lookout looking for trouble and threats. And that's going to mean that you have a greater or kind of faster stress response. So it's going to be easier for someone who has a history of trauma to get out of their window of tolerance. And for those people, it may be harder to get back in the window of tolerance. So that's why it's really important to do things like the grounding exercises to increase your resilience kind of increase how big your window of tolerance is and how much life can throw at you. There's
1: always a lot of power in the now, isn't there? And I find that, you know, I use breathing. Uh, as a technique to ground myself but I tend to also do that with the thoughts of you know I'm I'm breathing in things like love abundance and you know all all the all the positivity but then when I'm breathing out I'm thinking I'm breathing out you know any fear doubt worry and all of that you know so I, I also do the exercise along with those thoughts as well.
2: I love that. I love that. And that gets to the second thing that you can do to get back in the window of tolerance, which is really, and, and again, the one, this, this tip in particular is something that you can't do when you're in the middle of, you know, an emotional eating episode or feeling bad about yourself. Um, This has to be done when you're feeling healthier Um, But that is to change your trauma related beliefs about yourself or about the world. And one in particular, and this goes back to our theme, is this belief that you are unworthy of love, if you live in a larger body, or if you don't meet the beauty ideals, which the beauty ideals in current culture is, you know, skinny, young, white toned, right. And so if you don't have those Western European perfect symmetrical features and and all of this, um, then, then, you know, you're outside of that beauty ideal. And you might believe, especially if you've heard this from past partners or, you know, family members growing up, like people that you trusted to, to speak love to you, You might believe then that you're unworthy of love if you fall outside of that range. And that belief is going to keep you moving in or moving out rather uh, of your window of tolerance when you, for instance, look in the mirror. But if you can work to change that belief um, that you are worthy of love exactly as you are, uh, not only will you stop flipping outside of that window of tolerance when you look in the mirror, but. Uh, in my experience with my clients, you're going to be more open to connection with romantic partners.
1: Absolutely. The thing is that we often think, you know, that um, men wouldn't appreciate us regardless of what size we are. are, But, you know, to my relief, (laughs) I found, you know, it doesn't matter what, what age you are, what, what size you are, men appreciate you for you first and foremost. And, uh, you know, it's, it's what, it's what you're exuding from the inside, not what you look like from the outside.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and this isn't my personal experience. This is more watching my clients who are again, women 45 and up. And and we have these weekly group meetings where women are sharing, you know, this one woman shared once that she was told growing up, men won't love you if you're fat, you know, love her if she's fat. And so, you know, she, she really believed that, and and the thing is, is until you examine these beliefs and where they come from, then they have free range in your mind to run around and you know color the way that you see the world. Um, but once you can look and really examine what are your beliefs, what were you told about your body, um, then you are able to decide how you would like to believe uh, and, and do some work. I mean, changing beliefs is hard. It it really is. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of breathing in the good stuff and breathing out the bad stuff. Uh, And honestly, I feel like, and I'm so science-based, but you're going to hear me say this. I feel like there's a little magic involved um, because women feel in my, in my um, work, it seems to me that women will feel helpless. Like it's always going to be this way. Okay. Now I know where these beliefs come from. I've, I've examined it, but I don't know how to change it. Right. And, and just by sitting with the feeling, and again, this is a lot of what we're doing with emotional eating, just sitting with the hard stuff and feeling rather than using food to numb, uh, slowly the way that they think starts to change and that unlearning happens. But to unlearn, you have to clearly see what you learned in the first place. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Because we don't know what we don't know until we do.
2: (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. You know, another trauma related belief that I see leading to emotional eating in particular, um, and, you know, then resulting in some of the struggle with, with body image is that emotions are unacceptable or emotions are unsafe, you know, for people who grew up in homes where, uh, they, you, you, did, they didn't want you to feel your emotions or they were a bother, you know, rather than, um, something that you can learn from or helpful, or, you know, I grew up in a religious environment that was very much, uh, made me, um suspicious is the right word suspicious of my feelings like they are they're probably going to lead me down the wrong way I need you know logic and, and these kinds of things uh and so in order to feel your emotions you have to do some work around that as well to start to accept how you're feeling to start to feel safe in your feelings. And again, a lot of that also has to go back to calming down your nervous system, because if your nervous system is riding high, Mm. um, you're not going to feel safe, because your body's telling you, you are running from a saber tooth tiger, you know, on the planes, you're in fight or flight, and that's not a safe place to start to feel your emotions.
1: No, so true. And um, I think with the negative beliefs, it's recognizing, first of all, that you know, you have that as, as a, as a belief that that's not actually serving you. Uh, and also, you know, it's, it's important, I think, to question, because I, I tend to teach people that, you know, if you have a, a belief that isn't serving you, then think of that belief as being on a, as a tabletop, you know, so that say the belief is, um, you know, um, men aren't going to find fat women attractive and I'm a big mm-hmm. woman, um, mm-hmm then look at what supports that belief, you know, what legs underneath that tabletop of belief um, are supporting that belief. And you'll find that's, like you say, from your past and probably what people have told you. But if you keep questioning each one of those um, legs underneath that tabletop (laughs) that's supporting that belief, you can keep, you can get rid of all that, those legs, and then eventually that belief will will fall over (laughs) and it won't exist anymore.
2: Yeah. Or, you know, to experiment too with, I mean, especially something like this, uh, just to experiment and see if you make a a dating app profile and you have realistic pictures of yourself, do people still reach out to you? And, you know, from again, the the experience of my clients, I think you'll find, yeah, there's still really quality people, um, who, who will reach out to you and, and you can have a fun time getting to know, um, and even just the confidence in your own body. I talk to a lot of women who are in relationships and they feel uncomfortable in their skin to the point where it's impacting, you know, sex and feeling sexy in their intimate relationships and, uh, understanding, I think what we haven't talked about, that'll be helpful to, to, to um, talking about again is understanding where does this beauty ideal come from? Like what, how, what would you need to be in order to feel confident in your skin? Well, if the answer is someone else entirely, or someone that you will never be able to be, um, that that bears that bears looking into you know that that uh because our beauty standards come from i mean really the patriarchy and you know these these uh places unfair systems of of like socioeconomic class. And like when you really get into it, colonization, like there's a lot of buzzwords that I'm saying here, but you can go out and do some research about where did these body ideals come from? And you'll quickly see they don't come from a good place. They don't come from a place that is valuing women or valuing humankind. They come from a place of objectifying people to uphold the current power dynamics. Honestly, if you feel like I'm getting really crazy here, look into it. There's great research around this.
1: Yeah, and uh, you know, it's a shame that even women's magazines are guilty yep. of this, aren't they? You know, the, the women's magazines that are supposedly, you know, representing women are guilty of um, you know, falling into the trap, I suppose, of idealizing what, what beauty is in the in terms of society.
2: Certainly, certainly. And and so. You know, if you're looking for more confidence, uh, I would recommend doing some of these things we've already talked about where you start off really examining where your beliefs about your body have come from and what beliefs you'd like to have. I love that tabletop, you know, activity visualization that you shared Lynn and something else that I would recommend you do is get out your journal or get out a piece of paper and start a list of things that make you feel confident. And I'll tell you, I've done these kinds of activities before. And when I start my list the first time, I usually have next to nothing on it, or I have the things that other people have told me make me feel confident, um, because which might be losing 50 pounds or, you know, whatever it might be. Um, and you know, I want to say that if you're someone who you lost weight in the past and you did feel confident at that weight, uh I don't want to I think that's a that is actually a common experience and I don't want to take away from that But generally, you felt confident at that weight, because we live in a society that really um, celebrates weight loss, people will comment, they will compliment, Um, you know, you you may have felt better because you were eating in a way that can help you feel better and and moving your body more, you know, you might have been doing more things for yourself. So I don't want to take away from that but it also doesn't mean that you can't feel confident where you are. And that the only way to feel confident is to get back to that weight. You know, oftentimes women will tell me, wow, I remember, I was looking at this picture of me, you know, X number of years ago and X number of pounds ago. And if I only weighed now, what I weighed then, but even then I thought that I still needed to lose weight, right? Like it's never enough. The problem isn't the weight or the number on the scale The problem is these beliefs about yourself and lack of acceptance of yourself that then is leading to not accepting your feelings um, so that you have to use food to numb how you're feeling and not accepting yourself so that you don't feel confident to be intimate with other people.
1: Yeah, it's such a shame, you know, that it stops people in their tracks, you know, from really having, you know, totally... Fulfilling, alive, happy, happier relationships than what they've currently got, but just because of their own thoughts that are going on in their head that um, probably their partners are totally unaware of, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, that uh, are stopping them feeling confident and free, which, you know, makes me feel sad, really.
2: Yeah. And, you know, back to that list, I was saying if you create a list of things that make you feel confident when you start. The things on the list, again, maybe things that um, are more related to your unhelpful beliefs than things that actually make you feel confident. But if you keep at the list, come back to it, you're going to start to notice like, oh, when my hair is like this, you know, I have a little bounce in my step. I feel really confident. And that's true for me. I feel confident when my hair looks really good. Like I love that, you know, fresh blowout look where I look in the mirror and I'm like, wow, look at this hair. It makes me feel amazing. I feel so confident. And so that would be on my list, you know, something else that makes me feel confident would be, um, being comfortable in my clothes and not feeling like my clothes are like super tight and constraining. And I'm always thinking about how big my belly is because the thing on my belly is so tight. Right. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, so you can start to notice what makes you feel confident. There are certain songs that I hear that make me feel confident and, and create your own list and then allow yourself, you know, give yourself permission to feel confident and, and, and and embrace the things that make you feel confident and do those things. And you might start to find that you're able to lean into those beliefs um, that you, you know, want to have, like that you're worthy of love, just as you are, or your emotions are safe, and you can feel them rather than eat them, that you can start to lean into some of those beliefs from that place where you feel good, and you feel confident, and you feel cared for.
1: And sometimes, you know, some women will say to me that, you know, it's hard for me to change my beliefs to something like, you know, I am worthy of love when they've not actually felt that before or feel like they're lying to themselves as to say that but you know again it just takes a bit of practice doesn't it? it you know it doesn't mean that you're never going to actually feel worthy of love but actually know that you are worthy of love and if you find it a bit of a challenge to start with because you're not used to it then again you can do the opposite exercise around you know add the, the bel- legs to that table of, of that belief of that you are worthy of love um to give it support, (laughs) you Mm -hmm. know, so to to enable it to become a stronger belief and over time it'll become a conviction and uh, you'll naturally start to exude that you are worthy of love.
2: Yeah. One of the tools I use for this with my clients is self-compassion. Dr. Kristen Neff has done a lot of research into the three elements of self-compassion and how, I mean, she's done research across Uh, like happiness and mental health and, you know, eating disorders, like really, it spans the benefits span a very wide range, but essentially, self compassion, the three elements are self kindness, common humanity, which means recognizing you aren't alone, and you're suffering, and mindfulness, which I think another way to say that is accepting that you are struggling without, you know kind of going so far into the struggle that you become a victim or, or lose sight. And so if you're someone who's feeling like, I want to believe I'm worthy of love, but I, I don't know how, or I don't have, you know, proof of that. I think this is where self-compassion becomes so um, strong and impactful because, you know, common humanity, we can recognize, hey, if you're listening right now and you're feeling like that, we're talking about it. This is not, you're not isolated. You're not alone. This is a common issue. And I, and when I say that, what a lot of women will do then is, well, it's common. And so they use it to invalidate how they're feeling. Like, so I should just get over it. It's common. No, it's common. And it really (laughs) stinks. And it's really... Something that people actually struggle with. Um, and then the, the mindfulness piece, accepting like, hey, this is hard right now. Like, this is hard. I don't want to be here. I want to believe that I'm worthy of love. I'm not feeling like it. Uh, and yet, you know, I have the hope that someday I will. And then the self-kindness where you can just bathe yourself in the kindness that you probably are giving to everyone else in your life. Uh, and from that, again, that self-compassion is going to help you stay in your window of tolerance, be more resilient uh, and change even some of these beliefs that you have and help you feel grounded in your body because your body is a safe place when your body is a kind place.
1: Oh, I love that, you know, um, and you can use probably a stepping stone belief between beliefs, you know, so if you've previously yeah. have been aware that, you know, you, you haven't had. Uh, a, a very positive belief around being worthy of love but you're finding it it's a bit of a struggle to actually go from that to oh I really am worthy of love then you can just you know say something that's a, a bit of a mix in between of that which could be you know I'm working on being someone that feels worthy of love you know as it's you're beautiful. sort of stepping stone towards and then actually believing that ultimately I-
2: I love that. And, you know, going back to body image, oftentimes there is a big gap between hating your cellulite and then all of a sudden feeling like, oh, well, do I need to magically celebrate, you know, my cellulite? And the image I have in my head is tear all my clothes off and dance around in my garden, you know, in celebration (laughs) of my cellulite.
1: (laughs) Ah, well, yeah, <laughs> <That'd be nice. laughs> you know,
2: and if you want to do that, awesome. Right. <laughs> but most of us, probably if we can get to a point where we look at the cellulite and just go, meh, no, eh, it's there. That's okay. It's not my favorite. And yet like my legs are strong and they allow me to move like that. You, you can respect your body and respect yourself maybe as a stepping stone or even feel neutral about your body neutral about yourself as a stepping stone belief, which I love that term to, you know, before you get to a place where, and you may never get to a place where you're dancing naked in your garden you know, <laughs> under a full moon. And, and that's okay. Um, that's definitely on my bucket list, but it doesn't have to be on everyone's.
1: <laughs> I love it. Okay. So um, when, when you, Think about, um, you know, this particular subject of body image, you know, and, and it being a problem in, uh, you know, many people's relationships, Cassie. and Any final words of wisdom before we wrap up the episode?
2: Yeah, yeah. I really think that from what I've witnessed, and again, I'm not the relationship expert. I just am sharing this interesting phenomenon where as women come to me and we're working on healing, emotional eating, they get to a place where they're accepting and loving of themselves and then romantic relationships feel possible. Um, and you know, I have, uh, clients who've experienced this, they felt confident enough to go out and date. And, uh, actually one of my clients was on a trip to New York city with, you know, a wonderful man that she met, uh, recently. And it was so fun to see the pictures, you know, where she was having a great time and smiling so big. Right. And, and that was possible because, She decided to create new beliefs for herself and and to accept herself and love herself. And that was really the path forward to meeting someone wonderful, in my opinion, rather than um, uh, a a posture or attitude of self-hatred and self-disgust you know, like I just kind of think kind of that law of attraction or manifesting, right? Like, and I'm not big into that. Um, I'm a dietitian; <laughs> uh, That's not my specialty, but it just, it feels like there's something there. And I wanted to make sure that your, your audience knew about it.
1: Absolutely. So um, where can our audience contact you, Cassie? What's your best contact information?
2: Yeah, if, if anyone's hearing this and going, wow, I'm really relating to struggling with eating. I'm really relating to struggling with my body image as well. And I want some help. You can go to Cassie forward slash free and get my free guide. It's you're done dieting but still wanna heal emotional eating, a roadmap to achieve peace and freedom with food. And feel comfortable in your own skin. I'm the queen of subtitles. Um, and you can go grab that roadmap and I lay out for you exactly what it's going to take to get from where you are to feeling comfortable in your own skin, comfortable around food and give you the first couple steps that you need to get started.
1: Excellent. Love that. And thank you for offering that to our audience today. That's brilliant. So, Cassie, it just leaves me to say thank you very much for being a great guest. I've loved this topic and love chatting to you. It's been so fun. Thank you. So, just to wrap up, then, listeners, true love starts with opening our hearts. So, until
0: next time, goodbye for now. Thanks for listening to the Hearts Entwined podcast. You can follow Lynn via the Facebook group Two Hearts Entwined or search Lynn Smith inspirational speaker at LinkedIn or email Lynn at hearts entwined dot com. That's L Y N at hearts entwined dot com. Remember, true love starts with opening our hearts.